Hey, this is the coach, Brendan Sir, on another Coaching You Basketball podcast. Today, you're going to get to hear a treat. One of the very best women coaches in the world. I've known Cherry Cole for years. Uh, she's been a dear friend of Kevin Eastman, myself, Billy Donovan, Larry Shiat. You know, she's just one of the great learners, teachers, coaches in the world of sport. Uh, I, you know, I think you're going to hear the way she talks philosophically. She's at another level. I don't mean to say this. My friends, my men friends, coaches, she, she embarrassed most of you, okay? This is a woman that you will absolutely learn from because she is just understands why she's coaching. I think you're really going to enjoy Sherry Cole. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. Hey, back with Sherry Cole. Uh, Sherry, I am so excited to have you on. You know, uh, we've been doing this now for, gosh, six, seven years. We've had a 100-plus uh, people doing podcasts and you and I have known each other for years and have always been you've been a fantastic supporter and friend of coaching you for Kevin in my perspective but it's so exciting to have you on thank you thank so much you. thank you I'm honored to be on with you so tell me you have had a journey of becoming one of the, the most prominent women coaches that we have in our game and uh, and every time we see each other it normally involves learning <laughs> and you had the same appetite that Kevin and I and Billy Donovan and so many of our mutual friends have in that we are on this journey of mastery it seems uh, to keep learning uh, w- why did that happen to this little girl that went to Oklahoma Christian I mean why did <laughs> how did this happen <laughs> um, you know what I, I think being raised in a in a home where curiosity was applauded and um, being in, from a small town, uh, you know, you, you do everything when you grow up in a small town. Mm-hmm. You, I was in the school play and I can't act and I was in the school <laughs> choir and I can't really sing. And um, you just do everything because they need you to do everything. And what, what you come away with from that is, number one, I think a strong sense of confidence because you believe that there's nothing you can't do. But the other thing is you get exposed to so many different ideas and avenues, and and within those, uh, you you find things that that appeal to your appetite. I remember clearly, Brendan, when I was in the ninth grade, my English teacher uh, laid a, a book on my desk and said, "I want you to be in the scholastic competition 
and you need to read this book. And I was a freshman in high school, and the book she laid on my desk was The Pearl by John Steinbeck. Wow. And I, I just kind of went, uh, oh, okay, I guess, you know, if a teacher told you to do something, you did it, so okay, I'm going to read this book. And I began to read the book, and I'll never forget, I read the first 10 pages, went back to the first and read the first 10 pages, and then went back to the first and read the first 10 pages again, because I was like, I don't even know what's happening in this book. And yet I kept going because she had asked me to do it. And as I got into the pearl, I started figuring out all the wonderful allegory and symbolism of John Steinbeck and the beauty of literature and the the connection of one thing to another. And it just created this um, really, really this unfulfillable appetite that I have for figuring things out, whether it be people or situations or circumstances. And so I credit um, so much of this addiction that I have to always learning to the teachers at, at Hilton High School where I was growing up. So now, you know, we have always heard that, you know, they say the most influential person in a young person's life, you know, and I don't mean this to be dis- sacrilegious is, you know, not maybe the pastor, even though they are, or, you know, or someone, but really the coach. Uh a woman that I've known so long as yourself and so talented, why did you decide, you could have done so many things, but why did you decide to coach? Well, I, I think it's twofold. I, I loved ball and I, I started playing when I was in the fifth grade and played almost every day of my entire adolescence. And I just could not imagine not being in a gym or having a ball in my hand. <laughs> so that was number one. But but number two was, uh, again, you just you spoke toward it. My fifth grade basketball coach was my English teacher. Her name was Mary Patton. And I remember thinking, boy, life would just be grand if I could grow up and be like her. Mm-hmm. I remember that as a fifth grader. She wow. had two children, and she taught English, and she coached our games, and, and she always handled herself uh, with such poise and such class. And I know that she had a million things to do and so many responsibilities, but she seemed to have such joy and fulfillment. And I thought, you know what? That's what I want to, that's what I want to be when I grow up more than what I want to do. Hey, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And uh, I was one of those rare kids that went to college and said, I want to major in English and physical education. And I never changed my mind the whole way through. That's, that's what I wanted to do. And when I graduated, it's what I set out to do. And it's what I've been doing for 30 years. But when I called you to do something uh, a couple of years ago, I remember, I think it was speak at a coaching you clinic, and you said, hey, I can't, I'm teaching at in our <laughs> business school tomorrow. And I'm saying, hey, girl, we don't have many PE teachers that do that. I was one too, you know. H- how has that evolved? And I think so smart of the people at OU to do that because I think, you know, the lessons you could teach, especially in leadership, uh, are there. But how did that evolve? Well, they, uh, it was just an amazing opportunity. I, I feel like I am a teacher at heart. Mm-hmm. When I graduated from college, I became a high school teacher and I taught English for seven years. And then I, I moved on here to the University of Oklahoma. But every coach who coaches knows that when you walk into your gym, that is your classroom and you are a teacher mm-hmm. at heart. And so um, I, I wanted to, I've always wanted to, uh, get back to the classroom setting in some way, shape or form. The only thing I, I didn't, there were two things I didn't like about teaching. One was taking attendance and the other was grading papers. And the great thing about being a professor at the collegiate level, I had a graduate assistant who took attendance and graded <laughs> papers. I was in heaven. Oh, I love <laughs> 
I just got to walk in and teach. But but the folks at Price College, um, they were remarkable in terms of giving me the opportunity within a sports management program to title my course and create my curriculum uh, around anything that I felt I could share uh, that would be different than maybe you could find in a textbook. And uh-huh. so I created a class called What Makes a Team Work, and we spent an entire semester um, talking about the elements of a team and how teams work together and and how they uh, create success uh, both on the athletic fields, of course, but really parlayed it into the business world. And I would have students who wanted to be in front office professional organizations or students who um, had no desire to work in athletics at all, but understood that in the business world, it is all about team and about Mm -hmm. being able to work with the people around you. And so I I taught it for four years. I took this fall off as I'm trying to sign seven players in this (laughs) class. I thought I might need to be on the recruiting trail a little bit, but it's funny that you ask about that, Brendan, because uh, at the football game this past weekend, we're playing Texas Tech and I ran into Trevor Knight on the sideline, yeah. and uh, the first thing he said was, Coach, are you still teaching your class? Because he took my class, and I loved having that athletic leader in there yes. uh, as a stimulant for discussion. And I tell you what, what I came away with from all those Thursday nights, uh, long Thursday nights at Price College, were I came away with all kinds of ideas and gifts that come from the creative minds of 18 to 22 year olds who were in my class. It was as good for me by far, if not better than it was for any of them. Well, I think we all say in, in coaching, I've, I've learned from myself more from my players than they ever got from me. It's, it's so one-sided. It's a joke. And absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would think, and, and, and having been in college coaching for 13 years, uh, the last seven, uh, unfortunately, and this is not meant, I'm not going to get a job because I'm saying this, is that I think so much stuff that the kids are required to take in college, they don't learn a darn thing from. And I've had, I've got a daughter that's a doctor and a a son that's in medicine. So, uh, you know, but the things that they're learning, they only got when they went to med school and stuff. And, And I think, unfortunately, a course like yours was probably the most exhilarating thing they took because they could practically take that and go out and do it. And I think a lot of things that we teach in college aren't like that, unfortunately. That's why I think there's so much stimulus in the learning that, like, people will learn from what you say today more than they will have learned from a coaching book, let's say, that they took years ago because we want to learn now on demand, Sherry. And I think that's what you you gave those kids, and that's cool, I think. It was it was an amazing experience, and I hope to continue it when I uh, get to a, a, a place where I'm not recruiting six or seven kids in a in a particular class. But you know, uh, I, the feedback I got from all those kids was always that that they felt like it was applicable knowledge, and that's sometimes where we where we miss the boat. There, it, you know, it's not unlike the way we teach our kids, Brendan. Mm-hmm. If you if when we get our players in in the gym. If their shot is broken, the first thing you have to do is go to block practice to create a muscle memory pattern to teach them the right technique. And that's sometimes, unfortunately, what a course is in curriculum. It's a ton of block practice and you never move beyond the block practice to the experiential, which is where the real learning takes place. And so I, I think that's sometimes where kids are unable to connect the dots because it stays in that block form and they don't ever get put in an environment to apply it. 
You know, uh, two years ago, I guess it was when uh, you and I were on the same, uh, you know, uh, clinic at Missouri Coaches Clinic in uh, Columbia, and uh, you went on before I was, and I sat there, and I came away with like 15 pages of notes, and someone said, oh, who spoke? And I said, well, Sherry Cole. They said, no, what men spoke. I said, it doesn't matter. I learned more from her than I learned from anyone else there that day. And it's so cool that, you know, that our games have become some one that, you know, that women's game right now, I think at the collegiate and the WNBA level has become so good right now. My opinion, uh, I watch every playoff game in the WNBA. I watch a ton. I have so many friends that coach in college basketball, women's college basketball. And I thought like last year, our finals, semi-final four in women's basketball was sensational. And, you know, and, and that just keeps helping to grow the sport. We have so many gals playing it at the uh, AAU level and stuff. Talk about the state of the game right now in your opinion. I do think it's improving. I think you're very accurate in what you just said in reference to last year's Final Four and uh, the level of basketball that was played and uh, the parity that seems to be rising. Um, I, I think one of the things that gives women's basketball uh, a real chance if we all – pay attention to the right things is it, it is as we grow it and and players become more athletic and and they're bigger and they're stronger and they're faster um, the game is still primarily played below the rim which is uh-huh. um, the way Naismith created it and the way Wooden coached it and there's something pure and uh, quintessential about that uh, and the men's game is a different thing now because of the athleticism and so we fill a very important and I think uh, appetizing niche for sports fans and for purists uh, as long as we continue to make sure that we focus on the fundamentals and don't become entirely enamored with the athletic ability. You know, I, I grew up in Oklahoma was a holdout. We were one of the last states to move from six on six mm-hmm. girls basketball to five on five. And so I played six on six in high school. I was a forward. I played offense to the half-court line, and God forbid I run past the half-court line. You I'm don't yell at any of your players that don't get back on defense. That's what that <laughs> means right now. I get it. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> so I play six-on-six, six, and then I go to college and play five-on-five. Five. And the first thing I thought was, it is so crowded. What in the world? How am I ever going to get to the rim? There's so many people out here. But then after playing college, I went to coach at the high school level, and my first year coaching, we were six-on-six. Six. Oh, jeez. And I was like, oh, what in the world? But I say all that to say this. One of the things that happened within our state, up until we we uh, transferred into five-on-five basketball, we were fundamentalists. You could pull women's basketballs, women's basketball players from Oklahoma. They went. Oh, Kelly Litch was one of the greatest players to ever play the game, went to an NAI school, Southwestern, here in Weatherford, Oklahoma. We just had fundamental, fundamental, fundamental basketball players. When we went to five-on-five, Coaches lean toward the strategy side so much, and probably they were trying to, you know, make the transfer and learn the game. But at the same time, we went through a period of, of um, it, it was a deficit in fundamental. There really was. There was a deficit, and so I think for our college game now, it it, it somewhat mirrors that that um, transition period where we're really athletic now. And I think the WNBA is catching up to itself. At mm-hmm. first, it was just a really, really athletic league, and shooting percentages were bad, and turnovers were high. 
and it's grown into its own skin. And now you have these really elite athletes playing really fundamental basketball, and that's why we love to watch it. I agree. Let me ask you, why, you know, one thing I hate, I heard Coach K talk about it last week when he was talking about the state of uh, men's college basketball and the scandal and all that stuff. But one of the things I thought he said that was really neat is that he said the from the men's side, one of the biggest problems we have is we have a billion-dollar business in college basketball. You can't run a billion-dollar business with a committee. And I, I, I was like <laughs> high-fiving my TV. And, and you know what? Uh, how did the women, the intelligent women of women's college basketball, figure out that we need to have four quarters, that we can advance the ball in the last minute of play? I mean, how could they figure it out? And they, excuse my language, the dumbass men could can't do that. We're the only holdouts in the world of basketball today that do not play four quarters. Is men's college basketball? Well, every married man out there knows that his wife runs business anyway. So <laughs> the answer to that question is pretty easy. Yeah, no, I guess I I, let, I, I set myself fact. up on that one. Yeah, I love the fact that we. Um, we were not afraid mm -hmm. to make a rather bold move and, and go to the four quarters and to the ball advancement. And it has added exponentially to the intrigue and the excitement and the interest surrounding our game. Our players love it. Yep. Uh, I know we as coaches love it. It gives us a, a way to potentially get an edge um, four times instead of maybe just at the end of a game or the end of a half and the end of a game. And um, I, I think that if you ask a lot of men's coaches, they would love to do this. But again, uh, it has to be the majority, and it has to funnel through the system, and sometimes that takes a while. And, and in, you know, men's basketball, the way they do rule changes, we could get that thing passed in three to five years probably, you know, in the way they work. You know, <laughs> you know uh, one of the things uh, that I, I've been intrigued uh, by you about and is how f philosophical you are about, not just about basketball, but about life, but answer me this because I think you know when the people that we have the men and women that from all over the world that listen to our podcast I think it's really an important question. why does Sherry Cole coach <laughs> um it's a great question and I I the simple answer is because I want to make a difference in young kids lives I, I I feel like it's an avenue where we can teach and um there are so many things that the, the lessons transcend. There are so many things that our world needs desperately right now that can be taught and polished and and developed in basketball gyms and on football fields and on baseball diamonds. Um, the the things that last, uh, like like integrity and uh, work ethic and uh, um, selflessness and sacrifice and commitment and all those things that I think our, our world is in dire need of at this time, those lessons can be imparted through sport and it's a fun way to learn. And um, I, I just feel like, you know, I think it was Nick Saban. I heard say one time, I, I, I've never not been a part of a team. Mm. And I, I can't really imagine um, the deficit that an individual might, might experience if they never got to be a part of a team. I too have always been a part of a team. I can't yeah. imagine a young person not ever having that experience because it is so fulfilling and teaches you so much simultaneously. You know, um, you had, I thought, some of the best comments uh, about college 
players transferring. It's an epidemic on the men's side. 870 players this year transferred. The women are becoming also a big problem in it. But I think uh, some of the things that you, that I've read about, things that you said, Jerry, about transferring, I thought were, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to really put you on the spot and say absolutely brilliant, and I haven't heard said before. Can you talk about a little bit about, you know, from and you didn't just say a kid's made a mistake. You also took a little bit of responsibility yourself on there. Could you share a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think that when a young person chooses where they're going to spend four years of their life to play college sports, uh, they're making a decision that's going to affect the rest of their lives, obviously. And and that is a decision that should not be entered into lightly. And I think very often we all can get caught up in the wrong things, uh, coaches, players, parents, everyone. And I think maybe if, if, if there's a, a silver lining in all of this um, transfer uh, stuff that's going on right now, it's, it's that to make us all pause and um, take a really hard look at our process. And I know for us, we have really gone back and, and vetted um, who do we want in our program, what kind of player can be successful in our program, who's really going to fit, and then tried to recruit along a very clear line of that and asking the questions that, that allow us to ascertain that. And it's hard work, and it's beyond can this guy make baskets or get rebounds or guard it, it it's about who they are and what kind of experience they want and so it's it's on both of us the the recruit and the family and the coaches to make sure that um you, you're vetting your your choice and that you're choosing the experience that you want to have because we're all not for everybody and and we have to figure out uh, who's going to excel and, and who's going to thrive in our system. And um, that's on all of us. It's on each and every one of us. And I think we, we ask kids, and I'm going to talk more on the men's side because, I, I, you know, I, I don't know enough on the women's side to to be truthful with it. But on the men's side, it seems like uh, we're we're in such a rush. We don't develop relationships. And so we just pick out the best-looking person and say, that's who we want. But we don't know anything about them. They don't know anything about us. And we sometimes get kids to commit before they even visit our school. because Which is crazy. Insane. It's crazy. It's like, it's like marrying someone without even going on a date. Right. I mean, you know, you know, guess what chances that works with? You know, rare. <laughs> okay? But we, we do it. And it's almost like a race to show, hey, we've signed. I heard a school the other day, a really prominent school, and they said, geez, they, don't have, they haven't signed anyone. They haven't gotten a commitment from anyone, a men's team. And I'm saying, my God. You know, okay. You know, well, maybe they haven't found the right person yet, and and you know what? So what? I mean, but there's so much pressure on coaches, men and women, about the recruiting nowadays. And I've seen the women's game is now falling under, uh, especially women's basketball, under tremendous pressure now, not to win. I mean, am I wrong in that? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and the Power Five conferences, you know. You know, yours is a revenue-producing sport. Many others aren't. But you know, now we we want to win because we're putting a lot of money into it. And and it's and and I, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we're recruiting players younger and younger and younger, and the 
the greatest benefit I have is that I'm a mother. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm faced with one of those situations, it's a really, really quick fix for me to simply think what I want this mm-hmm. to happen to my daughter, what I want her to be in this position, when I want her talking on the phone every <laughs> night of the week while she's in high school to, to college coaches. It, it's real easy for me to just put that, that lens over it and make decisions that I think are best for the people that we're recruiting. Sometimes that removes us from the conversation, but you know what, what I've learned through the years is that's okay. That that's, that's almost great because that's probably not going to be a relationship that's going to work out in the long run anyway, because here's what happens, Brendan, in this business, you start to rationalize and talk yourself into something like here's a kid and maybe it doesn't all fit, but you start to say, yeah, but if we surround her with the right culture or we have her in this environment and you start to rationalize and, and cut those edges short and try to make something fit. And pretty much if you got to try to make it fit, it's not going to work. And so (laughs) we back up and we slow down and we ask the hard questions and, and um, we have the difficult conversations um, it, it's, it, I, I think, I think the more probing we do and the less talking we do as coaches, uh, the better fit we're going to acquire it, You know, we want to get on the phone and start telling everybody, telling that recruit how great our school is and what our program's all about. We should really just call kids and ask them a few questions and be quiet and listen and we'll learn all we need to know. <laughs> well said. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Tell me about the Big 12 Conference. You have some really good teams there with Baylor and Texas, and I'm sure I'm leaving out a few, but, I mean, it's always a strong conference. How is it going to be this year? Uh, same story. Uh, yeah. What, the, the 22nd verse for me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> same story. It uh, loaded with uh, great players. I think uh, someone said Texas had 10 All-Americans, 10 high school All-Americans on their roster. Um, Baylor has their fair share. They have Kalani Brown, which is enough, but uh, (laughs) they have their fair share. And and our league is full of great coaches. I'll tell you, Bill Finley at Iowa State can coach. Jeff Mitty at Kansas State can coach. We are Jim Littell at Oklahoma State. The guy can coach. So in some of the programs where maybe you don't have 10 All-Americans on the roster, 
you got a Hall of Famer, a potential Hall of Famer sitting on the bench guiding them, so there's not an easy night. But you know what? It's a fantastic league to coach in for that reason and because women's basketball fans in the footprint of the Big 12 Conference love women's basketball. They don't just go. They love women's basketball. So there's always, whether we play at home or on the road, there's – there's a, an energy in the gym. It's fun. It's exciting. It's competitive and preparatory. I, I feel like that's that's uh, such a, a huge benefit of play, playing in this league is you're prepared once postseason rolls around because there are so many different types of teams. You don't you don't see the same type of basketball every night when you go out. You, you'll see some zone. You'll see some crazy athleticism. You'll see some five out. You'll see a lot of different stuff, and that prepares you for what you might see in March. Talk about this uh, style of play um, that, you know, I know OU Sooner fans have gotten to play. But talk to people that don't know a lot about you, Sherry. Talk about your philosophy and how you like to play. You know, I I tell our our recruits and, and their parents all the time that, that there are lots of ways to win. And I feel like mm-hmm. uh, sometimes people will, that one of the first question is tell me about your system. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> my system is to get really good players and try to put them in positions where they can be successful and then to get out of their way and let them do that. That's my system period. <laughs> so when we went to our first final four, we played four out and one in and our center couldn't jump over a piece of paper, but she was smart and knew how to move off penetration and would follow a scout to a T, and we end up playing Connecticut for the national championship. The next time we went to the Final Four, we ran some triple posts because I had the Paris Twins and yep. Abby Olajuwon. And then after the Paris Twins graduated, we went back to the Final Four, and we ran a high-low because I had Amanda Thompson who could just have her way at the pivot. If you threw her the ball at the elbow, something good was going to happen for us and something bad was going to happen for our opponent. So we ran a lot of high-low. So I, it, we don't have a way that we play, quote unquote. Uh, what we try to do as a coaching staff is recruit young women that we want to be around for four years, <clears throat> young women who we want to be ambassadors for the University of Oklahoma for four years, kids who are going to be selfless and work hard and who have a high skill set. And then it's our job as coaches to configure the way we play in a way that most complements who they are together. That's our job to put them in a position to be really, really successful. And so we teach like crazy in practice. We talk a lot about spacing and timing and angles and reads. And then when the games come around, we want to back up and get out of the way and let them do what they do best. Damn, I'd like to play for you. boy. No, that's great. Sherry, what what do you – I think the, the people that are most successful in life get to do what they do best every day, not every week, every day. Uh, what is it that Sherry Cole does best? You know what, Brennan, that is a great question because I think as you find yourself, um, the first part of that question being every day, as you find yourself um, sitting behind the desk making the big decisions, um, the number one thing that, that I do every single day that is most important for my program is I make decisions. The more efficiently I can make those, the more effectively I can make those, the better our program will be in every single facet. So in my job description, number one is be an elite decision maker. That's it. Um, My sweet spot, I think I've maybe developed, uh, maybe out of of necessity, I've developed into a, a strong decision maker. I've always been 
highly opinionated, but I don't know that that makes you a great decision maker. So I think I've maybe grown in that. Um, my sweet spot is probably um, speaking to people in a way that they can hear. I, I think that that's probably what I do best, whether it be players or staff or, or uh, whatever the situation may entail, uh, to impart information, which again, I think is, that's what a teacher does, to present information and, and share it in a way that it, it can be consumed and digested. And uh, I get to do that every single day here as a coach. Man, that's powerful. Wow. You know, one of the things that I, I, uh, I, I often say about our, in our college coaching uh, thing is that, you know, a professor on the campus anywhere in America, um, you know, they all have PhDs and they, you know, if they have any kids in class, uh, the, some kids get A's, B's, C's, D's, F's, it doesn't matter. And they walk out of there and I hate to say it, many of them, many, not all, say, you know, doesn't matter because I'm a great professor. Whereas if you come and watch Lincoln Riley, Lon Kruger, <laughs> or Sherry Cole, every one of your players has to get an A in your class. Not a B, not a C, an A. How do you go about taking kids from such diverse backgrounds and turning them into A students? Brennan, as you were saying that, I was thinking about the wife of the football coach at Norman High School when I was teaching there, and she taught reading. Huh. And I remember her saying one day that a football game would be like her having all of her students' reading scores published in the newspaper every single day. Mm. And and that a lot of teachers aren't able to make that um, that mental jump, you know, to, to see what that really is like. But I think – I think our job as coaches, you know, by definition is, is what, what can you get those guys to do? It's not what you know. It's not what they know. It's what can you, what can you get them to do and, and how can you help shape their behavior and provide an experience for them through sport that will be a feedback loop? You know, that's, that's just a huge deal to me. When you talk to successful people, how many really successful people outside the world of sports will reach back and hook into some athletic experience that either shape their behavior or change their way of thinking or, or change their systematic process for doing things. It happens all the time. And so if, if we can, as teachers provide feedback loops for our student athletes so that they always have somewhere to go back to, because the thing is they're all going to get off track. And I tell them this in games all the time, you're not going to be perfect throughout 40 minutes. You're going to get off track. The real gift is when you get off track, can you get back on? Can you get back on? And so building those internal muscles that allow kids to respond after a turnover and get back on defense and leave that play, those are the same muscles that are going to allow them to be successful in business or in their relationships and their marriages in the future. And so really trying to um, dig into those things that matter because they'll last I think that's that's the crux of our teaching. Now, how do you do that? Um, gosh, it's different all the time. I think maybe that's the thing that that keeps teachers and coaches young is that <laughs> you never have all the answers. You know, every kid is wound different. You'll get a kid, and and I'll say I, I had one this this past year walk through, and I said, "Boy, she reminds me of Whitney Hand." But and there were all these little things that make it somewhat different, and so finding the key that speaks to them. But I think with this generation, particularly 
uh, short bursts. Their attention spans aren't very long. Um, they have to know how it matters to them. So anything that you can connect to current events, something that happened yesterday, something that's going on right now, something that's going to happen next week. If you can hook in and, and craft your lessons around those things that are relevant to them, then they're more apt to latch on to them and it's more apt to last. Oof, that's good. Sherry, what is the dream? I know you've done so much, but you know, you have so much more still to go. What What's the dream for Sherry Cole? Well, I'm living it, my friend. Yeah. I, I have um, a 25-year-old son mm -hmm. and 21-year-old daughter and a husband that loves hunting fish all the time. And <laughs> I get to uh, be in a gym and, and uh, work with kids and read books and listen to podcasts and learn and grow. So so I'm living it. Um, I have a, I, I tell, when, when I ask my players, you know, like, what, what's your passion? Mm -hmm. And I ask recruits, what's your passion? And when they can't come up with anything, I'm like, oh my heavens, like I need, I need six lives to get through half of mine. Sure. Come on, you got to fall in love with something. But one of the things uh, that I want to do at some point is I want to write and I don't really care if it, if it gets published or anybody reads it. I, I absolutely love language and I, I love to write and I've done oh, little things in magazines here and there. And I used to have a journal before blogs became the mm -hmm. thing to do. And I just enjoy writing, not necessarily for anyone else's um, uh, reading, but I, I like to, I, it's how I express myself. And I think it's how I become more self-aware too, is, is through writings, how I work my way through things. And so uh, I always say that that somewhere the dream is uh, a beautiful beach and a lawn chair and uh, me getting to ride all day long. <laughs> well, that's that English major coming out in you, I think. You know, <laughs> yes, it, 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 well, my next, yeah. Go Steinbeck, ahead. I am not. No, <laughs> uh, the next time I come uh, to Oklahoma City uh, to see our fr mutual friend Billy Donovan, I promise a trip to Norman to see you, my friend. Uh, you're so special in the field of coaching, men, women. You you understand uh, what it's like. What is coaching? Uh, you know, I, I often say that coaching is taking players where they can't take themselves. And Cherry Cole, you do it better than anyone. Thank you, Brendan. That means the world to me. And I'm going to hold you to that Norman visit when you're in I town. am. I am. I, I'm free now. Uh, this is my first year without a team, but I, I think I have about 100 teams that I feel like I'm working with now, you know. And my, my dream is to try to impact uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in the world in basketball and beyond. So you have been a huge help today to help those folks. Thanks. Well, you come on down, and I'll share my team with you anytime. I would love that. I would love that. I, I could screw up any team in a day or two, you know, but I, I look forward to it. Sherry, thanks so much for sharing, and I uh, really look forward to it. And have a great year. Thank you, Brendan. appreciate you and all you do for athletes in the world of basketball. Thanks. I think you can understand why I was so excited to have Sherry on. Uh, you know, I think she might be our first woman's coach we've ever had on Coaching You. I'm not sure exactly, but I think so. And God, you know, I told her the other day I wanted her to come on because philosophically she is so in tune with what we believe in. Uh, magnificent. And every time I talk to her, I learn more about coaching, more about basketball. What a treat. If you're ever in Norman, Oklahoma area, go and see her practice. She is one of the people that loves to share as most coaches do she loves to share and her philosophy is second to none at any level uh 
you know, I, I can't thank Sherry enough for, for what she's done for the game, but also I think you're going to understand after listening, I think you agree. She's a special woman and coach. Uh, again, uh, thank you so much to our fabulous sponsors at Dr. Dish and at Fast Model. Uh, they are the ones that power this uh, every week. Uh, two of the best partners I could ever have in the world of basketball. Make sure you take advantage of Dr. Dish for the season. Make sure you have one in your gym. Uh, it'll take your players to another level. And our friends at Fast Model, they've taken me, my game, and so many other coaches around the world to another level as far as their fast draw, their fast scout, the different things they have for college coaches in the recruiting area. So make sure that we uh, support our sponsors and look forward to you next week. <laughs>